Before the carols and the candles, before the trees, before the lights, before the tables are set and the meals are made, before we open our arms to welcome a new Christmas season, let's not forget to stop and prepare. But not for the parties, and not for the presents. This year, let's stop and prepare our hearts for the real reason we celebrate. Oh, well, good morning, church. Good morning, and Merry Christmas. I mean, it is here. It's finally here, and it's Christmas time, and I love Christmas. I just love this time of year. I love everything about it. And uh, we are in a great series called Christmas Welcome Jesus. Because Christmas in our culture has become about anything but Jesus, right? I mean, it's like a lot of things happen. A lot of things are going on. Uh, This is the time of year we try to get presents for all of our family and extended family. We're trying to pick out the right gift. We, We do Christmas cards to anybody we've ever met. We've got ugly sweaters that we need to get. We've got new Starbucks drinks. We've got Christmas movies. We've got all kinds of things. And, and yet, it can be a little confusing. I mean, really, what is Christmas really all about? I mean, as you start to look around and you see all the things that go along with what Christmas is in our culture. Hey, have you ever confused song lyrics before? You know, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, you've been singing a song and, and you know... And, and then you realize you're not singing the right words, right? You've been singing this song, and, and there's a couple in our community group, and I love these guys. They're amazing. They're awesome. And, and he was telling us about one day he's driving along, and his wife's sitting over here in the passenger side, and she's just singing aloud. You know, she's just singing, oh, yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of Labor Day is gone. He's like, long after the thrill of Labor Day? What are you talking about? It's not like a Labor Day. It's long after the thrill of living is gone. And they get in this whole discussion. She says, no, it's Labor Day. And he's like, what do you love Labor Day so much? You know what I mean? Like, what is it long after the thrill of Labor Day? And so I started looking it up. And I was like, how many people confuse? And it's amazing if you Google it, like all these songs that people confuse all the time. And they think it says something totally different, right? Like, hold me closer, Tony Danza. You're like, what? <laughs> it's a tiny dancer. I mean, what are you talking about? You know, or, we built this city on sausage rolls. It's like, what? <laughs> I mean, where does that come from? It's rock and roll. I mean, but, but all these people get these things confused. We even do it, right? For calling birds. It's not calling birds. It's calling birds. Now, I don't know where we got calling birds from. It sounds a lot better. I would go with calling birds personally. But, but it's different. And here's the thing, right? The author wrote a song. He's writing this, the songwriter's got this great idea, this great vision. He's like, this is the perfect word. This is going to speak to people. This is going to be awesome. It's going to sell a lot of, you know, units. It's going to be great. And then we come along, we just kind of make it whatever we want to. And we're okay with that. I mean, it fits, it rhymes, it sings along, and we just kind of go, this is what it's going to be. But there was a whole different intention. Labor Day is really different than just living life, right? I mean, we just kind of fall into this pattern, and that's what can happen with Christmas. It's great, it's fun, but now, you know, we got like talking reindeer and dancing snowmen and magical elves, and we got all this stuff and yard art everywhere, and we, we kind of go, wait a minute, what is it really about? And what's real and what's not real? And we say to our kids and we say to different generations, hey, this is what Christmas is. And so into our American Christmas, into our American 
Christianity, we just come and say, hey, Christmas, welcome Jesus. Because <laughs> it's really all about Jesus. Now, all these other things are fun, and it's fine, and it's okay. But the author of all creation, the one who made this world, the one who put it all together says, hey, I want to introduce to you my son, the Christ of Christmas. And that's who we've come to meet today. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. New Testament, right? And Matthew is the hinge of the Bible. I mean, you got the Old Testament, and then you come to the New Testament. It really all turns here on Matthew. And Matthew is so incredible because Matthew is an eyewitness. I mean, this guy was with Jesus. He followed Jesus for three years. He was there. He was at all of these things. And he's probably the journalist writing it all down and kind of like, hey, I want you, want you guys to know this. Uh, and we are going to be unpacking here in Matthew. Now, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. So he's probably a little bit wealthy. And, and yet Jesus comes along and says, hey, uh, Matthew, found fulfillment yet? And he's like, nope. You know, I got all this money and I've got success, but I, and nope. Hey, follow me. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. And so there they are. There's 12 disciples that are following Jesus. Matthew's writing things down. And he's writing now to this Jewish audience, this is people. And he's saying, guys, don't miss him. I know you, you, you read the Old Testament and you think that the Messiah is going to be a political Messiah. He's going to overthrow the Romans. But listen, God's doing something bigger. God's changing the world. God's changing hearts. God's changing lives. And so he, he's writing to this Jewish audience. In the first 17 verses, we saw the first week in our series, it's a genealogy. And a lot of times we skip over, like there's a lot of hard names, I, don't, I can't pronounce those, so I'll just kind of skip down here to verse 18. But, but 1 through 17 is really important, because here's Matthew is saying to this Jewish audience, look, the whole Old Testament was prophesying about the Messiah coming, and he's here. And the Old Testament said he was going to be the son of David, the seed of Abraham, and all that is fulfilled in Jesus, 42 generations, he lists there, and it's all fulfilled in Jesus. And then you get to verse 18, and it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. And he says, guys, look what happened. There was Joseph and Mary and, and Jesus. And Joseph and Mary, I mean, fantastic. But they were ordinary people that God used in an extraordinary way. But Joseph and Mary, they weren't sinless we don't worship Mary or Joseph. We don't pray to Mary or Joseph. We, we, we worship Jesus because <laughs> Jesus is the one who came to change the world. Jesus is the Christ of Christmas. Jesus is the one whose birthday we celebrate. It's all about him. And so we were in 1 through 21 last week. We looked at the divinity of Christ. And he is the son of God. And because of that, right, that God sent his son to the world. And, and he was no ordinary birth. He performed miracles. He forgave sins. He claimed to be God, and he conquered death. And he made a way for you and I to have eternal life. Praise be to God. But we also see here, we see the humanity. And so if you keep going here in verse 22, look, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, when he says all this took place to fulfill what was said through the prophet, he's going back to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was written 700 years before this took place. 
And you don't have to turn back there with me, but I'm just going to kind of read you Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now I just got to tell you, virgins don't give birth. It hadn't happened before and it hadn't happened since. And so God says, here's the sign. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to be confused. Listen, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin will conceive and a child will be born. Well, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, God with us. Now, a lot of times we look at this and we kind of glam up the story, right? It's kind of like camping. We go glamping. You know, we don't really, we kind of do that with the nativity. We're thinking, okay, son of God, well, he's not going to just be born like in, you know, a stable. I mean, it was probably like a deluxe stable. I mean, let's be honest. It was probably really clean. It was nice. There were a few animals. They were outside and, you know, but no, you go to Bethlehem and you have a chance to get the opportunity to go there. We've been there. It was probably more a cave. Uh, back then, they kept their livestock in a cave, and, and they would put the livestock toward the back, and then, you know, you didn't sleep there, but if you did, you would sleep kind of out toward the front, and, and it was back in this cave that Mary goes in, and Mary pushing away the cattle. We kind of sing, you know, it was a silent night. It was probably anything but a silent night. I mean, Mary giving birth, no epidural in the middle of a cave. I mean, you know, how long was labor? And Cattle were lowing, you know, it wasn't like they were in harmony. I mean, it was like these guys were like, this was pushing them back. And she literally gave birth in the middle of a cave. And God, the God of the universe, came to us. And I don't want you to miss that. Because here's the thing. God comes to us in our mess. God comes to us in our brokenness. God comes to us in our pain. God comes near And what we see at the birth of Jesus is this. We see the divinity of Christ, but we also see the humanity of Christ. We see the divinity of Christ, right? Fully God, conceived of the Holy Spirit. We see the humanity of Christ, born of a woman. Born of a woman. You know, the two titles that are used for Jesus most throughout the New Testament are Son of God and Son of Man. Son of God, yes, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, but but also son of man, that he can identify with what we go through, that he faces the struggles and the challenges that we face. See, when Jesus came, he was the only one who was born to die. He was born with the purpose to go to the cross, to pay the price for your sins and for my sins, to us reconcile us to the God of the universe. That's God's story. That's what God was writing about. He is the author of all. He created you, and you and I, we sinned, and we broke that relationship with him, but God sent his son to redeem and to restore us. Praise be to God. But Jesus also came to show us how to live. (laughs) Jesus also came to say, hey, you're going to be living in a broken world. You're going to be living where there's hardships, where there's challenges, and I want to show you how to live it out. So Jesus being son of man, if you're taking notes, Jesus being son of man means this. 
Jesus calls us to a life of humility and service. Jesus calls us to a life of humility and service. Now, we get caught up in this culture, and we can kind of get confused sometimes. We think, man, it's all about me. It's all about me making money and more money and more success and everybody looking at me. And Jesus comes along and he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, let me just kind of flip that over for you. See, when you live life, you're called to service and humility. Matthew knows. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 20, there's a story there in Matthew chapter 20 that articulates this. That Here you've got these 12 disciples and... And this mama bear comes along, right? And mama bear, I love moms because they just are always looking out for their kids. And mom comes along of James and John, who were two of the disciples. And she comes up to Jesus. And you got all these 12 disciples there. And mom comes up and says, hey, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, my boys, they're exceptional, right? I mean, they're awesome. I mean, they're pretty amazing. So, hey, when you come into your kingdom, why don't you put one on your right hand and one on your left hand? Man, Jesus is like, I don't think you understand what you're asking here. I don't think you understand what the kingdom is like. I think you're a little confused here on what's going on. It's not a power play. And all of a sudden, the other 10 are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why do you two think you're so special, right? We're out here doing ministry too. What's going on? And Jesus kind of stops the whole thing. And he says, wait, wait, wait. And in verse 28, it says this. Just as the Son of Man... There's that title, right, that Jesus gives to himself 29 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus calls himself Son of Man. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. (laughs) He says, guys, don't get confused. Don't miss this. The calling is to serve. Yeah, it's great to have ambition. It's great to do well. It's great to be successful. But but listen, your calling is is to live a life of humility and service. You know, as you think about that, you kind of go, wow, service starts at home. So am I serving my spouse? Am I serving my roommates? Am I serving my parents? Am I serving my kids? Am I living a life of service? What we do in marriage often, you know, we do this. We kind of compare percentages, right? We're like, I'm doing a lot in this marriage, right? I'm doing 60%. They're only doing 40%. Tell them to pick it up. Let's go. You know, I'm doing 70%. They're only doing 30%. I'm doing 80%. They're doing 20%. And Jesus comes along and goes, hey, 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 stop doing percentages. If you want to do a percentage, why don't you do 100%? Why don't you just serve? Why don't you just love? Because that's what I did. What if it starts at home? What if us serving that way and loving that way? But is doesn't stop there, right? It kind of spills over into our workplace. In our lives, we look around our workplace and say, hey, how can I serve? Not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? How can I help you be better? How can I help you in your life or what you're going through? How can I serve you? It, it continues on in our community. Church, I have to tell you, I, I'm just so proud of you. I mean, I think we have the most generous church ever. We, we had 80 angel trees last Sunday. An angel tree is a family who's, who, you know, the parent or one parent or both parents are incarcerated. And so it's like, hey, we take an angel tree. We're going to take that family. We're going to buy Christmas for that entire family. And we had 80 last Sunday. They were all gone. We went, just all gone. I, by 11 o'clock, they were all gone. I mean, it's like everybody just took one and said, hey, yeah, I'm not only going to do Christmas presents for me and my family. I'm going to do it for, 
another family. And that generosity, that's Jesus. That's service. That's making a difference. That's giving back. And God calls us to this life of service. And we think about service as like mission trips, and it's important. Yeah, and I encourage you, maybe in 2019 or 20 or at some point, go to Moldova. You know, go to the Amazon. Go to South Africa. Go somewhere where you can continue to serve. But, but it's a way of life. It, it's, it's, it's every day. It's waking up and saying, hey, people aren't here just simply to serve me. I'm here to serve others. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, there's something amazing that happened. He brought all his disciples together. And we always think about communion, right? We always think about the Lord's Supper. But you know what else happened that night? John chapter 13. It tells us that Jesus goes over and he gets, he gets a bucket of water. And he comes over to his disciples and he gets down on his knees and he starts to wash their feet. Okay, now feet are nasty normally, right? I mean, but, but back then... They wore sandals, and they walked like in the mud, and, and so these guys, that's why foot washing was reserved for the most meaningful servant. I mean, it was like the lowest of the low, and Jesus gets down, and he starts to wash these guys' feet, and they're like, no, 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 and he's like, yeah, 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 listen, if I, your master, have done this for you, I'm setting an example. You go do this for others, and it's calling our life to service. I was listening the other day, there was a a football coach, successful football coach. You know, he's kind of won at every level and he was given an interview. He's a Christ follower believer. And he said, he said, you know, fulfillment didn't come when I was making a lot of money or when we were winning a lot of games. He said, but all of a sudden it kicked in several years ago that for me it was help others be better. It was make a difference in others. And when I started seeing my players and telling them about Christ and giving them a greater vision for their life. And I started seeing my assistant coaches and all of a sudden helping them. He goes, that's when it really became fun. That's when it became enjoyable. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, because that's what Jesus said. He is the author. He's like, this is how life works. He calls us to this life of humility and service. The second thing we see with the Son of Man, the Son of Man means this, that he identifies with us in our pain and our suffering. He identifies with us in our pain and our suffering. Matthew Chapter 20, go to verse 18. Jesus tells him, this is red letter stuff. He's got the disciples with him, and he says, guys, listen, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, there it is again, right? The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, that's the Romans, to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and on the third day, he'll be raised to life, exclamation point. I love exclamation points in the Bible, but right there, Jesus is like, hey, here, I'm gonna call my shot. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. We're gonna go to Jerusalem. This is how it's all gonna go down. You know, the chief priests are gonna hand me over. I'll go to the Romans. I'll be, you know, mocked and flogged and crucified. But after three days, I'm gonna conquer death. <laughs> this is what's gonna happen. Now, if that was me, I would be like, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and get mocked and flogged and crucified. I think I'm going to go this direction. You know, like, I don't think I'm going to do that. But Jesus did. And what that means is this. Is sometimes you can go through a hard time or a difficult time and still be in the center of God's will. See, God's more interested in your character than your comfort. God's more interested in growing you as a disciple than everything around you just being perfect. Because it's in the challenges many times that we grow. 
And yet in those challenges, Jesus is with us. In those challenges and in those struggles, Jesus is there. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a tough time. And you're just like, God, where are you? God, do you see this? And God's like, yeah, and I'm with you. And I'm going to bring you through it. But you hold on to me. You hold on to me. And you stay strong in me, and you do the right thing, and you follow me because I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring deliverance. There's going to be an exclamation point in your life later on. But you may have to walk through some difficulties to get there. But you don't give up, and you don't back away. You don't walk away. See, Jesus can identify them in our struggles. Praise be to God. Thank you, God, that we have a God who identifies with us. And a lot of times we think back to the French Revolution, you know, Marie Antoinette, and in that famous line she said when the, when the peasants were rebelling because they didn't have bread to eat, and she said what? Let them eat cake. <laughs> like, I don't really care. Let them eat cake. I'm sure they got it. And some people think that about God. They think God created the universe, and he creates the world, and he backs away. He's like, yeah, let them figure it out. Good luck. No, 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 no. Not our God. Our God steps in. And our God says, I'm with you all the days of your life and all the days that are to come. I'm with you. See, we have a great high priest. We have a a Savior who can identify with us in the struggles that we go through. I mean, he was mocked and flogged and crucified. Praise God, we don't have to go to that extreme, right? Because he did it for us. He knows what it's like to be tempted. Maybe you're in the midst of a temptation today. Maybe there's a coworker who's kind of been making eyes, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what? Temptations, temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, and he never sinned. Temptation is an opportunity for us to choose the right thing. But Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to have the passing of somebody he's close to. Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad, probably probably died at some point when Jesus was growing up. A lot of people believe that's why Jesus didn't start his earthly ministry until he was 30, because as the oldest son, he had a responsibility to take care of his mom and to take care of the household. So he did that. He stayed there. But he knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back by somebody you love. I mean, Judas, one of the 12, one of the guys who was with Matthew and James and John, one of those guys sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He got confused. He went after the money and after the power and success. He thought the Messiah was going to be a political Messiah. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? You betray me with a kiss? He knows what it's like. Whatever pain you go through, whatever suffering you go through, you have a Savior who knows and who's there. I've been in the hospital room with many families. And some of those are the hardest times. But you can tell the difference between families that are built on Christ and families that have a relationship, a deep, abiding relationship with the Lord. There's just a difference, man. It's like God is there. God is there. Build your life on Christ. Hold on to him. Jesus being son of man also shows us this. Jesus reminds us that the joy and the victory that is to come. The joy and the victory that is to come. I love this. If you look over Matthew chapter 24, it says in verse 30, red letter, Jesus speaking, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man. Here it is again, right? 
He's saying, I'm telling you, I called that shot on what was going to happen. I would be betrayed. You know, I would be crucified. I would be resurrected. But here I'm going to tell you one other time. This is going to happen. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. You know, Advent isn't about the first coming of Jesus. Advent is about the second coming. And there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus, and all of them are fulfilled in Christ. But there are more prophecies in the Bible about his second coming, that Jesus is coming back. And when he came the first time, he came in humility. When he comes the second time, he's coming in all of his power and all of his glory, and he's going to step into this world that's broken, and he's going to say, enough, enough pain, enough suffering, enough And Jesus will enter in. It says he will call his elect. He'll bring them from the four quarters of the earth. You know the elect are? Those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Our joy and our victory is secure. That whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, look, it's not the defining moment for us. The defining moment is Christ Jesus. And our hope is sure because Jesus will return. Hey, guys, I've read the end of this. I've read the end of this book. And God wins. (laughs) God wins. And we're on the winning team when Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. And that's how the Bible can say, therefore, for our light and momentary troubles, and most of our troubles, we don't feel like they're light or they're momentary in any way, but our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Hey, the best is yet to be. Don't forget that. Don't just get so monomaniacal about what's going on in your life right now. Think about what is to come. What is to come. Uh, You know, this past week, we had a a national day of mourning. As our country mourned the the passing of our president, President George H.W. Bush, 41st president. And I don't know if you read anything about his last day. I mean, this, this guy was pretty amazing, right? I mean, if you've read any of his life and his story, uh, part of the greatest generation, right? And, you know, he served in his church for 50 years, part of the same church for 50 years. He served there. At, at the age of 90, he went skydiving. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, this guy was just like, you know, he was just, he just kind of lived life to the full. Age of 94, his last day on this earth. I don't know if you read about it, but it was pretty awesome. Uh, James Baker, his, you know, former chief of staff, he comes over and, and he says, you know, Hey, Bake, he says, what are we going to do today? The president says that to him, and James Baker says, well, today we're going to go to heaven. He says, good. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. I mean, can you imagine? You come to the end of your days, you're just like, okay, no fear in death. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. That night, his son calls him, right? George W., and he calls him, and he says, Dad, I love you. And the last words that President George H.W. Bush ever said on this earth were, I love you too. I love you too. I mean, how awesome to get to the end of your life and say, hey, there's a God who has my eternity secure. Let's go. I'm ready to go to heaven. And, and in what? I'm at peace in my relationships with others. Hey, I love you. I can say that to my kids, my grandkids. I can say that in my relationships. I love you. 
That's why God came for us. God came for us to redeem and to restore us and to allow us to live life that makes sense and not get confused and run off after the things of this world, but to be people who are fixated on the love and the grace of God. Remember when the angels made the birth announcement? What did they say? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. At this time of the year, there's anything but peace, right? I mean, we're running around like crazy, but, but God calls us to be people of peace. Have you ever noticed that Jesus, he was never in a hurry? He accomplished more than anybody who's ever existed, but he was never in a hurry. He didn't mind when people interrupted him. He served, he loved. He wasn't worried, he wasn't stressed out. <laughs> That's what God wants for us. I want you to have peace, peace with God. Peace with those around you, peace in your family, but it starts with peace in your heart. Jesus had this perspective, right? As son of man, there's a perspective of what really matters in this world, what is so important in this world, and I want to live with that kind of perspective. I want to know what the author of all creation meant, and I want to live it. I don't want to get confused, and the son of man lived with purpose. The Bible tells us the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' whole purpose was to seek and to save the lost. And I kind of look at us and say, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to bring glory to God. Our purpose is to serve. Our purpose is to give back. Our purpose is to share the love of Christ. That is our purpose. And sometimes we can get confused and say, no, man, my purpose is to make a lot of money. <laughs> my purpose is to be really successful. My purpose is about my name. My purpose, like, no, 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 no. Come back, come back, come back to what Christmas shows us. As a son of God and the son of man. Son of God and the son of man came for you and for me to make our eternity secure and to make our life on this earth matter. To make it where it's meaningful and makes a difference. You know, the holidays, they're some of the best times. I mean, they are wonderful. I mean, being with family and friends, is, it's exciting, but it can also be some of the hardest times. When things are hard, they're really hard this time of year, and there's a fracture in the family or a fracture with extended family, and everybody's in town. It's also the time of year that we begin to miss those around us. You know, my dad went home to be with Jesus three years ago, and I miss him, especially at Christmas. You know, it's just, it's just like, you know, there's, there's an empty place. But here's what I know. I know my dad's in heaven. I know I'm going to see him again. There is not a doubt in my mind. There's times that I'm praying or worshiping, and I just have this vision of him up worshiping, and just like pointing me, you know, to Jesus, pointing me to Jesus. And he's like, hey, I'm here. You'll be here one day, but I'm here now. I'm like, yes. Every major world religion is about man trying to get to God. Oh, if I could have that, right, I want that. But, but Christianity is God coming to us. In our brokenness, in our pain, in our hurt, God came down. You know Jesus' name? Jesus' name literally means salvation. That's what Jesus' name means. God wanted to make it so clear, hey, nobody missed this. I'm going to name my son salvation. You know, here I is, right? Here's salvation right here. 
But people look for a political Messiah. People want somebody just to change their circumstances. People want, you know, hey, just fix this, God. And then they're on to the next thing and the next thing. When God's saying, no, my son, in you, the peace of Christ. Dwelling in you, living through you. You have that kind of relationship with God. That's what Christmas is all about. You know, when I was eight years old, I just remember this so clearly in my mind. It was Christmas, and I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and we always had great Christmas time. It was a wonderful time. I was blessed to grow up in a great home and great parents, and uh, so thankful for that, and had a great church. We would always go to church on Christmas Eve. It was something that was important uh, to us and to our family. We would read the Christmas story together, but you know, I was a kid, right? So I always had my Christmas list and always wanting, you know, what Christmas presents and the latest thing and what was out there. And, and, and we would, you know, be asleep and then want to wake up early, my sister and I. And, you know, it's, my parents are like, hey, wait till there's a six on the clock before you can come out. You know, and we're always standing at the door ready to go on Christmas Day because we wanted to get out there and get our presents. And so I remember this Christmas we went, we had a great Christmas time, like we always did. We had tamales in San Antonio. You have tamales for Christmas. I don't know. It's like our tradition. So we had tamales for Christmas, and and then we would play football because it was always warm on Christmas in San Antonio. We'd be out in the yard playing, and, and then that night, I went to bed after this great, wonderful kind of Christmas time. And I remember in the middle of the night hearing sirens, and I woke up and I ran to the window, and I'm looking out the window, and there comes the fire trucks to our neighbor's house across the street. And our neighbors who lived across the street were the Dworsics, and the Dworsics were like the nicest people. They they were just wonderful people, wonderful neighbors, great neighbors. They'd always bring us a pumpkin pie and a pecan pie every Christmas, and we just, we had a great neighborhood we grew up in. But I could picture the scene of me standing at that bay window right there in our living room, looking out at their house, that's on fire. My dad running past me and saying, you stay here. And he's going out the door and he runs over and all the neighbors run over and, and they were able to get the Dworsics out of the house. They had a, a real Christmas tree and electrical short on the lights on the Christmas tree set the whole house on fire. And they were able to get out the back and they're standing in our front yard now, all of our neighborhoods over there in the front yard and they're watching the house and the firemen put out this fire on their house. And I tell you, that, that image is just etched in my mind as I'm standing next to our Christmas tree and all the wrapping paper and all the stuff that's there and looking out at this house. And by the grace of God, as the neighbors came together and they had places to stay, and after about six months or so, they were able to rebuild their house. But, but it showed me early on what really matters <laughs> and what really lasts. I don't remember what I got for Christmas that year. I'm sure it was some toy, you know, but I, I don't remember. I'm glad my parents gave me that. But, but what I do remember is all the neighbors putting their arms around the Dworsics. And what I do remember is seeing God show up in the midst of a really tough time. And I want to encourage us, hey, this Christmas, have a great time, have fun and celebrate, but don't miss Jesus because he's here and the God of the universe came down into your marriage or into your divorce or into your fear or into your hurt or into your pain and he came to be with you and he came to bring you peace 
and perspective. And he came to bring you purpose and to say to you, the God of the universe loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. Not only to die on a cross for you, son of God, but also to show you how to live and to show you what really matters, son of man. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I'm going to invite some of our A6 guys, there's some of our spiritual leaders just to move to the sides and they'll be there to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with you during this time, you know, here's the thing, guys, you're not alone. <laughs> there's a God who is with you and there's a church that wants to walk with you. And maybe today there's some real challenges that you're facing and hey, if you want to just slip over to the sides and it's free prayer. I mean, praise God for that. And just say, hey, pray for me. I'm going through this or pray for my marriage or pray for my kids or my, I got a kid who's not walking with the Lord or, or pray right now that I could just have joy or I could have peace or I could have purpose. Pray over me. That's what these guys are around this room are for and these ladies that are there. But for all of us, let's see Jesus this Christmas. So Father God, we welcome you. We thank you that in the midst of our brokenness and our hurt and our pain, you came. Not to a palace, but to an ordinary stable. It was dirty, not perfect. But you came and you entered in. And so Father, we invite you into our hearts today. We invite you into our homes. We invite you, God, into our families, into our workplaces. God, we just invite you to be the Lord. Give us peace. And allow us to see you, the author of our faith, the joy of our hearts. God, we want to worship you today. So lift up our eyes and let us adore the Christ of Christmas. Let's stand together and let's worship. If you want to pray with somebody, just slip out and go and pray on the sides and then let's worship our Savior.